Welcome to Truly Fit. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I'm your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. Once again, I'm going through the format with my sister to talk about trending nutrition, fitness, and health topics. We talk about collagen supplements. We talk about the bench press arch. We talk about pickleball. Is it dangerous? Cozy cardio trend. Pilates. Protein quality argument, AI and health, and why are hospitals failing? I do have some interviews coming up, but I really enjoy this format. And it's kind of been in replace of my Thursday and Monday episodes instead of doing a traditional interview. And then instead of me on Thursdays talking about something in the health and fitness and business industries that is trending, I kind of uh, combine both of these and do them with my sister. So I think it's fun with her nutrition background and my fitness background and us tackling these topics that are trending. With no further ado, here's Rebecca and I. Beck, thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. We're going to run down our health, nutrition, and fitness-related topics. Some of these will be newsy and trending, and some of these will just be interesting topics we feel like uh, giving our opinions on here. And why don't you start us off with telling us about collagen supplements? I have been seeing them everywhere. Uh, they've always been in uh, like a push in protein bars, like, hey, this protein bar comes with uh, collagen. But really now I'm seeing it uh, spread beyond like the bodybuilding community and just into like I would call it the, the normal like health and nutrition community. Tell me about these collagen supplements. Are they bunk? Are they nonsense? Do we really need it? And um, obviously give me your insights into maybe the best brands if you have any particular brands you like. For sure. Well, you know, I hear people say a lot, um, our ancestors didn't need this. Like, do we really need collagen? I right. Said, and I think I you, say can say, yeah. <laughs> you can say that about almost anything, right? You can say that about multivitamins. And, um, I think that argument is faulty because we're not living the same way our ancestors did, right? Uh, our soils, number one, are depleted. They're over farmed. So the plants that are growing in the soils don't have the same nutrients that they did 50 years ago, hundred years ago. Um, and then the animals that eat those plants very similarly aren't getting the nutrients. And then humans who eat the animals again, aren't getting the nutrients. So a lot has changed and you know, our lifestyles have changed. We are chronically stressed. We're not getting enough sleep. I think we talked on the last podcast, we're not moving our bodies, right? Most people are sleeping and then they're sitting down to eat breakfast, sitting all day at work, coming home and doing very much of the same. And so our lifestyles have really changed. And so short answer is yes, we do need collagen. It's not pseudoscience, um, but I do want to clear up a few myths. I think some people feel like uh, collagen is now in a lot of uh, beauty products, right? For women, like this beauty elixir or like Jennifer Aniston works with Vital Proteins and she's on all their collagen commercials um, and she looks great for her age. But what's important to know is that what you're eating um, is not going to uh, do exactly what you think it's going to do in your body, right? So here's an example. When you eat a chicken thigh, that chicken thigh is not going to form your quadricep, right? That's not going to build up your quads. And so, you know, everything we're eating is getting broken down into the, its simplest form. So in this case, it's amino acids. And so very similarly, you're going to eat collagen. It's going to be broken down into its simplest forms, the amino acids, and then your body determines where, where those go. So 
there's a chance it could go to your face, maybe to, you know, uh, recreate, rebuild lost tissue, but there's a chance those amino acids are going to create neurotransmitters or to the zillions of other chemical reactions that are happening in our bodies every day. And so I think there's this um, marketing push that collagen is going to help restore your skin and, um, you know, lost, lost tissues, sagging skin, wrinkly skin, and that's not necessarily true. So what is true is, is collagen is the, are the building blocks right? So you do need those amino acids. That's important. After 30, our bodies stop producing collagen is, um, in the same way that they used to. So after 30, we lose about 1.5% per year, um, which adds up over time, right? So by the time you get to your 60s and 70s, it's definitely something you need. Um, but what's important to know is these are the building blocks, but similar to a construction site, right? So you're building a home, you can have all the materials, but then the construction workers can still be taking a break and going to lunch and smoking cigarettes and not actually building. So you need the raw materials, but you need to do something with them. And so um, that's where a lot of these procedures come into play. If you've heard of like microneedling or a lot of these new laser facials like Morpheus and things like that, when your skin gets damaged, your, um, your body directs the resources there. And so that's what's going to build up the collagen. So um, it's sort of like a, a two-parter. Um, and what's interesting, I was actually speaking with my dermatologist recently, and she was saying she had a girl come in who is getting ready for her wedding. And you know, before wedding, some women get really stressed. She lost a lot of weight. She did this laser facial. So it's Morpheus. It's microneedling combined with the, the laser. Um, so you, you kind of look like a monster for like, a couple of days after, and then, you know, your collagen and your skin rebuilt, but she wasn't healing well. And so the girl came in and was blaming the doctor. My doctor's like, you haven't eaten anything in weeks. Like you're so stressed about your wedding. Your body doesn't have those building blocks to repair and to give you, you know, the skin that this procedure is, is, um, supposed to provide. So it's definitely, uh, it's definitely twofold and, you know, don't be, don't be sold on marketing that collagen is all you need for beautiful skin. It is helpful. Um, on the other side, you know, on, on the physical side, as, as opposed to just appearance, there are studies that say that if you do have a history of stiff joints or painful joints, um, you know, not necessarily associated with an autoimmune disease or like arthritis, but if you're sort of on that path and you notice that you're achy, They've done studies that have said that um, collagen supplements daily can um, improve that, can reduce pain and can improve mobility in certain populations. So it's definitely something to, to consider as we get older. I know they have, um, you can take it in pill form. I think that's harder because you need to take a lot of them. I like the vital proteins. Um, you want to make sure it's, you know, a grass-fed uh, collagen. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm a I'm a fan of collagen. This this might be more of a Leah question than you. That's our our cousin who is a, a makeup artist. But do they push it in like a transdermal form? Do they go, oh hey, if you need it in your face, here's some like transdermal like collagen you can just like rub on. Is that is that a thing or no? Um, no, I haven't necessarily seen that with collagen, but I have seen them market like specific amino acids, and you know a lot of people didn't take biochemistry. So they're like, oh, lysine, like methionine on my face. I'm like, no, this is just marketing jump, mumbo jumbo. This means nothing. Um, so no, transdermally, it's, I haven't seen it work in that way. All right. So when you take a collagen supplement, provided it's third-party tested and it's actually real, you're really just taking in the amino acids from that, uh, which maybe are different amino acids than you're otherwise getting. And then your body's using that however it may use it. And that could be 
to uh, help repair your face, so to speak. But we don't actually know that the collagen is specifically helping that. But we would say that in general, it should be helpful. You're just giving your body more amino acids that it might not be, uh, might not have because of your, your diet or lack thereof. Absolutely. Yeah. And then even in general, even if you're eating very well after 30, your body stops producing as much of it. So it's good to have the raw material, but it's not magic and it's not going to, you know, magically change your skin. There's, there's definitely a, a lot of other steps there. All right. On to the next tier. Okay. Next one. We're going to talk about bench press arc. Uh, what's the deal with this? Is it safe? Why are people doing this? Yeah. You're going to see people, um, on the bench press on a regular basis and their back is sort of like arched in, in like this arc form, right? So they're, they're in, uh, what looks like a C curve of their spine. Yeah. And, uh, it started with really just like power lifters were doing this because you can get the bar from your chest back up in a, in a easier fashion because there's less distance to cover. So for those who are trying to see this visually, you know, if I'm laying flat on my back and my arms are fully extended, as I take my arms all the way down to the bar hits my chest and all the way back up, that's a long range of motion. But if I can arch my back that's a sh and my push my chest out another six, seven, eight inches, then it's going to be a shorter range of motion. Essentially, it's a decline bench press, which a lot of people do anyway. So you'll see people on the, the decline bench, which is what you would do maybe sit-ups on, right? So yeah, your head is below... Sure, yeah. Right, your 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 ankles and your feet are wrapped around something, or the or the back of your knees, right? And you're doing steps. You can do a bench press on there, and it's easier. You can lift more weight that way, and that's what your body starts to do. Now, uh, here here's the issue. Number one, a lot of these bodybuilders are doing this, and then other people are copying this, thinking like, oh, this is what they do, so I should do it. We have to ask yourself, like, zoom out here. Why are they doing this? Well. For, right. for them, these power lifters, I should say, not bodybuilders, power lifters specifically, they're doing it because there's a it's a means to an end here. Their goal is to get as much weight up as they can and put it back on the bar. Maybe it's a competition. But it's right. not actually it's helping the muscle to the optimal uh, way because ultimately you want a full range of motion for that muscle and for the joints, right? And for the ligaments. We want range of motion. That's more important. Yeah. Right? And then what's your goal? What's your yeah. goal? We want to wear the muscle out, right? We want to, we want to make sure we're working through the range of motion. We want to make sure that we're tiring the muscle out and doing more repetitions. In some mm. cases, maybe some cases more weight, depends on your goal. Again, I don't want to get into the specific goals, but 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 you, the average guy lifting in the gym, right? Don't probably, yeah. like, if your goal is purely strength and I just want to lift as much weight as I can and show people how much weight I can lift, I get it. Now, from a, a safety perspective, yeah, there, there are things to be concerned with. Now, most right. people, most people who are doing this are doing it properly where they're using, they're bridging in a sense, right? They're using their legs, they're bridging up. They probably have strong yeah. cores and strong lower backs and that's assisting them. And again, it actually makes the weight feel lighter in a sense because of the fact you're in that, you're in a, basically you're creating a decline bench by doing that. But where, yeah. where it's uh, harmful is you're putting a lot of undue stress in your cervical column. So when you're lying flat and your thoracic spine is touching, right? Maybe your lumbar is not. There's usually a little space in between your lumbar and, yeah, yeah. and a bench, but your thoracic spine is giving you a lot of stability there on stability, the bench. Stability, right, yeah. Now that thoracic spine's up off. So now you have a lot of downward pressure while you're pressing weight forward, which is putting even more pressure. It's like being in a car accident, right? So like as Gosh, you're pushing yeah. weight away from your body, you're essentially pushing your cervical column further back into the bench. So yeah, I, I am concerned with the average person doing that as far as the cervical column is concerned. And as we get older, 
almost all of us, you'll hear people like, I have clients who come back from like the, like the ortho and they go, oh, I have degenerative disc disease. I go, what? Everybody has degenerative disc disease. That's just, this just means you're, getting a- older. <laughs> means you're aging, right? There's different forms of it. There's different, like, sure. like you can be in a, la- a latter stage of it, but everybody has it. Yeah. It's like saying like, my cells yeah. are getting older. Like what? Like, so, um, yeah, I, I would, I, I don't get why certain people do it in the gym, um, who have goals that are not purely to be a, you know, a strength power lifter. And I am concerned about it from a, I, I, from a cervical column perspective for the average person who is not working with a personal trainer. Yeah. Again, I think it goes back to personalized fitness, right? You have to do what's right for you and you have to do what makes sense according to your goals. There's no one size fits all, especially when you're doing something risky like that. I mean, just hearing about it makes me nervous. I don't think I've ever even seen it in real life, but just picturing it just seems nerve wracking. I'm surprised you've never seen it. I know that you do a lot of working out at home and you kind of do your own thing. But if you if you walk into a big box gym, you're gonna you're gonna yeah. you're gonna see it. Maybe I'll look for it. Yeah. Yeah, to the extent where you know these things start trending like anything else. So everyone sure. like everyone is, is starting to do it now. It's like, try it. And it's like, well, why are you doing it? Like, what what is what is the purpose behind this? What do you think you're achieving by doing this? Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> well, you'll see different forms of it too. Now you'll see people, uh, even like in sort of more of like a Pilates yoga esque movements, they'll just be bridging on the floor. So I see women do this all the time in like class. Well, that's okay. That sounds much safer. Well, no, no. So, so let me let me give you more 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 details to this. They're bridging on the floor, and while they're bridging on the floor, they have dumbbells and they're chest pressing. And oh. I just I, I don't. I, I still think you're taking a risk there, especially as you if you lift your head up mid repetition, you're putting yeah. a lot of undue stress on your cervical column. It doesn't make sense. The, it's not you're not challenging your chest muscles more by being in that bridge position. It's it just it's just separate those two movements. You don't need to combine a bridge with a chest press. Yeah, you know, I see a lot. Everyone is like looking around, right? It's like, what is everyone else doing? Oh, he looks good. What is he eating? Oh, he looks good. You know, what is he doing at the gym? Oh, there's a new cool workout. Everyone is looking for something new and novel and quick. And it doesn't exist. (laughs) No, it does not. It doesn't exist, right? You have to do what's right for you. There's not one thing. Everyone thinks there's a secret. Like this guy knows the secret. The guy who's doing the arched press. No, it's not a secret. That's what works for him. It doesn't work for everybody. Doesn't work you know? for everybody. No, not to mention that guy who's doing that is on 600 milligrams of uh, testosterone <laughs> and some weird peptides from China. So, um, different story. Now we're on to a surprise topic for the first time. I have no idea what you're going to introduce. Just go for it. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so I wanted to. I didn't want to talk about this before because I really just want to get like get your honest opinion. Um, I'm going to ask you the question and then I'm going to give my feedback because you're the expert. So like, let's listen to the amateur first. So I know you watched the Super Bowl. Um, I want to talk about Travis Kelsey yelling at Andy Reid. I'm sure you've seen the video. It's like all over the internet. And I think when you initially see it, well, first, let me say I'm a huge Swifty, right? So I, I was rooting. I was rooting for the Chiefs, huge Taylor Swift fan, going to her concert in Miami, when she's here next October, I had to like, you know, cash in my 401k to four tickets. Anyway, so I'm a huge Swifty. So um, I'm a fan of Travis. And, you know, when you see the video, it's kind of jarring, right? It almost looks like he walks over and he, and Andy Reid kind of stumbles and he's yelling. And like to the average person, I think it's like, oh my gosh, what's happening here? And so I, I think there's a couple things. One is 
as he was walking away, I saw Andy Reid like go to grab for his arm, almost to say like, Travis, come back, let's talk about it. So that made me feel like, okay, he wasn't, he wasn't that surprised, you know, or even if you look at the look on Andy Reid's face, he's not like shocked or angry or whatever. And then, you know, the other aspect is tensions have never been higher. You're in the Super Bowl. Like I have to imagine when you're out on that field, it's straight adrenaline, right? And like the objective is to like go out and like tackle and crush and, you know, all, all of these things. So you, lots of testosterone, lots of adrenaline. And I think it's unrealistic that we expect these players to like go out and murder these people on the field. And then, oh, can you also be a nice guy? Like, I think, you know, in the, in the press conference afterwards, yeah, like let, we'd like you to talk like a human, but out in the field in the moment, um, I don't know. I think like you have to look at it in, in context and, um, you know, maybe if you or I had a camera on us at all times, there would also be a shot of you or I, you know, looking looking like that, looking like a monster. So what uh, what do you think? Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that, but I think there's maybe a, a a more salient point, a more important point here, and it's hard for people to fathom this who haven't played football before, and it's going to be one of those things like I know and you don't. So I'm going to try to relate this to something else that people can can sort of maybe digest easier. And that is having children. So you know, when, when you when you are part of a football team, it's not a job. People look like, oh, Andy, Andy Reid is the head coach, and Travis Kelsey is the employer. No, you're a family. You're, a family. you're spending yeah. every fucking second together, right? Doing everything, risking like literally life and limb. These guys, yeah, right? For sure. And game planning. Andy Reid probably sleeps five hours a night. Like these, like they don't sleep. They game plan. Yeah. They game plan. They game plan. They they live together. They have one common goal that all 52 guys are going for. These guys are a family. Last night, I, my daughter's sick. I gave her medicine. I tried to put her to sleep. She probably smacked me in the face five times and said, <laughs> go away, go away, go away. Am I mad at my daughter? No. no. So it's like, th this, is, this, is, this is a family. These things happen. This is not an employer. Now, people looking from the outside, they watch one football game all year. And that's the sure. Super Bowl. And they go, oh, look, can you believe this guy's doing this to his head coach? No, no, no. He's doing it to his father. Okay. It's, and it's different. Not yeah. It's not a boardroom. It's a, it's a football field is different than, yeah. A the, board meeting. The, 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 the connection that they have is not your, your boss the, for the average person who thinks, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not saying this is like female versus male, but just for the person who's not, who's never played the game, who, who has never invested that much time. It is not a boss relationship. It's a father relationship. So yeah. Andy Reid didn't care. This is my this is my toddler son throwing a tantrum. This is part of what he does. I'm the boss. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna calm it down. Yeah, but when you saw it, were you taken back? Do you think that happens more often than we think? And they just had all cameras on him because Taylor Swift is there. I think it's not unusual. It happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. It happens multiple yeah. times a year on the sideline. I've seen way worse than that. A lot of times, players will go after other players. I've seen Peyton Manning go after Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday is his center. You know, the center is the guy who snaps the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Peyton Manning basically like Jeff's like we need to start running the ball because Peyton Manning kept calling like audibles and Peyton Manning yeah. was mic'd up that day and he's like f you Jeff he's like we're running the plays that I say we're running you you just block you block yeah. you run the plays that I run these guys are like. These guys are best friends, they're family, but they're in the heat of the moment. And they say yeah. things that you would only say to your brother and sister in the heat of the moment or your best friend, right? There's certain things you'll say to your best friend that you're not going to say to your boss. And yeah, I think that's, sure. that's maybe that's what people are overlooking is that you, this is, you can go be above and beyond when you know that you, you're, you're always, you're not going to lose that connection with that person. This is just, it's, it's family, sure. it's family friend connection.
Yeah, I mean, they say that about toddlers too, right? Toddlers are their worst behaved around the people they know the best. Like my daughter, they know, Aurelia. They know we won't yeah. hurt them. They know we won't hurt yes. them. Yeah, and you accept them and you love them. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. Okay, that's nice to get your take. And then, yeah, if you look at Andy's face, he doesn't seem alarmed. He's not scared. And even afterwards, I think they interviewed him and asked him, and he was like, oh, you know, Travis keeps me on my toes. Like, he wasn't like nothing. That was his response. So I think... It's also hard to have a camera on you every moment, right? If you had a camera catching every millisecond of your facial, facial expression and what you did, you could look like a monster too, right? Sure. It's like it's, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it happens in the, in the biggest of moments uh, and there happened it to be- It gets amplified, yeah. yeah. It gets amplified and, and everything. It was sort of the, per, it was a perfect storm. Andy Reid happened to, you know- kind of get bumped a little bit. Travis's face was wild. Um, it, 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 it was the perfect storm of it look, it could look bad. But again, I think people have to look at it. This not like a work relationship, like a family relationship in, in, like you said, in a, in a heightened environment, not a big deal. Yeah. Okay. One last uh, side question based off of that. Do you think when the players are on the field, right? Like you've been, you've been on the field before, are they, they're not even thinking about the cameras, huh? Like, do you think they're all just like, it's like the stands are empty. They're just like playing the game. It's like, you're just out there and it's just you and the other team. Or is it almost like you're an actor and there's people and like, you're, you know, doing things for the crowd. 99% of the time, they're not thinking about that. Now here and there, it's so in your face. You have, you just, you can't, especially in the NFL, yeah. there's, there's literally cameras that they have a zip line that goes across the field, right? Where there's a camera yeah. that goes. So it's, it's, you, you can't totally block it out. There's cameras everywhere, but no, when they're on the field, there's just, you're, there's so much fight or flight in every second. You have so much yeah. going through your mind, right? Before the ball is snapped, if you're the middle linebacker, you're thinking about, okay, there's motion coming across the line here. I, you know, I have to be ready to maybe fill this gap. And what, what, what is the blitz? What is this guy doing on top of the fact that you're just, you do have that fight or flight. I could get injured on any play. So your body is just, you know, you're, you're at, yeah. you're at a, uh, this, this sort of this crux where you're, you're, you're trying to do a million things and your mind is working so fast that there you're just, you're, you live in the moment. There is no, there's no other way to do this, but to live in the moment. So no, they, yeah. most of the time they do not notice the cameras and they're not playing to the cameras. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, thanks. Good topic. On to the next. Okay, next one is pickleball dangerous. So I haven't, um, I haven't heard that pickleball is dangerous. In my mind, pickleball is like ping pong. So like, what, what is happening out there on the courts? <laughs> pickleball picked up probably over the last ten years. Certainly over the last twenty years, and then you know, certainly over the last five years, really it's picked up, right? It's everywhere. There's things. There's like whole businesses. Called, I don't know if you've ever been to a chicken oh, and yeah. pickle, where you just uh, you know, that's chicken so great. And pickle is where like, is that? Uh, they're in a lot of major cities. Yeah, been to a bunch oh, of that's them. That's amazing. Uh, been to one in Oklahoma City. Been to one in Atlanta. Been to one in I think there's one in New Orleans too. I mean, they're they're all over the place. So basically. They have a bunch of pickleball courts that you like rent out with a group of people and then they serve yeah. food and chicken and That's burgers amazing. and yeah. whatever else. And then beer, obviously, right? Beer, beer yeah. and drinks. I think there's, there's full bar. So um, that can be dangerous, right? Uh, <laughs> having a full bar doing any sports related thing, but that's certainly not the reason. Yeah. Injuries have gone up. Orthos are loving the pickleball scene because injuries have gone up 200% recently coming from that sport because 
you have an older population who thinks that they're the demographic for pickleball. That's the main reason. Ah, so okay. you have these, you have you have older people thinking, okay, tennis. There's a little even in doubles tennis. There's a little bit more moving around, right? In pickleball, the court is smaller. For those who don't know, what pickleball is. Imagine yourself standing on top of a ping pong table, right? There's a low net and there's not a lot of room. If you're standing on sides of like a, a, a you know, obviously a larger, if you were standing on sides of a, ping, uh, a real ping pong table, you, you, would, you would crush it. But that's what it feels like, right? So it's a little bit different than tennis where the court is very big. So their thought is, okay. Isn't it just the first two blocks of the, of the tennis court? You know, tennis court, it's- You can, you can play block, it inside blocks. of there as well. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, there's paddles. There's a ball that maybe uh, mimics like a wiffle ball. If anyone's played wiffle ball as, as a child, you know, it's like kind of plastic and different. And the movements are quicker because of the fact the court is smaller and the, the ball is moving fast, right? So you have to react quicker. That's not good for the older population. It's like jerky motions as opposed to like flowing and smooth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's much quicker, right? These balls can make you fast. You got to make quick decisions. The lateral movement is everything, right? You got to move laterally. You got to move backwards. You have to move awkwardly in quick mm-hmm. directions. This is not which, what is good for old people. So you have this older population at the country club that I used to work at. Everyone started playing pickleball and they would come back to me injured. I'm saying, this is, first of all, are you, are you warming up? That's the first thing. Yeah. Most people are not warming up like they Nobody's should Nobody's warming up. Right? Nobody's warming Before up. Before I do yeah. my average workout, me, as a 38-year-old, I have to warm up for like 15 to 20 minutes depending upon the day. I think that's another thing too. That's a whole other topic to talk about warming up. Yeah. You shouldn't Stretching, set, yeah. But you shouldn't just set some arbitrary time. Like, I'm going to warm up for eight minutes today. Why? Like, what if you need 20? And what if you need yeah. four? Like, feel, like, feel it out. Because sometimes you're going to need longer to warm up depending upon how your body feels from the day before, what exercises sure. you're doing, the temperature, what are you wearing? I warm up faster in a sweatshirt. Most people do, right? So like all these all these factor into your warm-up. But these old people are not warming up. They're, sen- they're seniors. They're 65 years old. They're just they're warming up by just hitting a few balls. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to play pickleball. And yeah. they're getting injured. There's a lot of sprained ankles. There's a lot of torn ACLs. There's a lot of broken wrists. There's a lot of collarbone fractures because you're, you know, AC joint. You're putting your arm down as you're falling. Um, oh, gosh. So, I don't, pickleball isn't necessarily any more dangerous than let's say tennis, maybe a little bit more, I would say, but it's the fact that people are doing this sport as if it's golf, as if they can just do, as they can start it at an old age and not have a problem when, when that's just not the case. Well, that's interesting because there was a study that said, and, and Dan Butner, who um, wrote the book Blue Zones, right? The areas in, in the world where people live the longest, um, he quotes it all the time. There was a study that said, paddle sports can add up to nine years to your life, indicating, and I think this is for a lot of reasons. One, as you get older, it helps you form community, right? And he found that community is really important as you get older. Um, It helps you stay active. But I wonder if it's maybe less about the sport and maybe more about the way people are playing, right? Because like men in general tend to be a little um, competitive, right? Or get more aggressive. Because in my mind, you can play a soft, easy game of pickleball just like you can play a, you know a soft easy game of tennis and that's that's good for you as opposed to you know some other sports where you do get injured right and you can play if you if you're playing um uh in a way that's not damaging to your body you can play up into your 80s right and and a lot of other sports you can't so well I, you um, know, I have to be the contrarian here because i i i've never found a hole uh, that i can't excuse me a study that i can't poke a hole in and these are rich people sports 
So of course, you know, rich people are living longer. They have the money. They care more about their their bodies because they have the time to spend on it, right? So like the, uh, a twelve year old kid coming out of like East Harlem is probably not playing badminton, but the kid, but the kid in Northern Virginia whose parents you know work for the FBI and the government, he's probably playing badminton. So I, I do think there's a you know it's it seems more correlative than than causal. For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, it wasn't a double blind placebo controlled study, but um, you know the evaluation is that if you can continue to move more as you get older and have community, that's really important when it comes to longevity. And there's not a ton of other sports for older people, right? Like other than golf, like what what do you see people playing in there? 60s and 70s and 80s, that's helpful. Yeah, well, before I answer that, I think the most important part is where are you starting? How quickly are you progressing? What are you trying to go to? My issue is not the 65-year-old guy who's never stopped, where he went from, you know, he played basketball and he got a little bit too old, so then he moved to tennis, and then that was a little hard, so then he moved to doubles tennis, and he's just maybe just downgrading sports a little bit, but he always kept his body moving. He always cared about himself. He's not too overweight. He doesn't have major joint issues, those sorts of things. It's the people who just literally get up off the couch after not having worked out for 25 years. Maybe they just retire, sure. right? They're an accountant. They've been sitting, they've, they've been doing the thing we've been talking yeah. about, right? The car, the bed, whatever. They, they retire and then I'm going to pick up pickleball day one. It's like, well, yeah. maybe we have to work up to this. Maybe you should meet with a personal trainer and say, hey, can I work on moving laterally? And, yes. and figure out how to activate those muscles and get my body moving in patterns that I've never moved in before, before I just jump into the sport. So it's not necessarily the, the sport that, that I'm concerned with. It's, it's going from zero to 60 and not preparing, sure. not preparing yourself to do the sport and just pretending or, or not knowing, being naive to think, oh, I can, I can do yeah. this with no problem. Yeah. I mean, listen, when we started this discussion, I said, how could pickleball be dangerous? And I honestly haven't ever played, but I think a lot of people are probably under the same, have, you know, have the same ideas about it that I do, that it's safe, that it's fun, that it's easy um, and don't really understand the inter- intricacies of the sport. So that's good to know. There should be, there should be some caution. We're, we're doing good public service announcements here. Watch out people. <laughs> be careful on those pickleball courts. So I'm going to share my screen for the next topic here, which is cozy cardio. I saw this on TikTok and uh, I had some initial thoughts on this that have maybe changed over time, but I wanted you to see this as well. So my first thoughts are, I love it. And like, I know that's probably a very feminine answer, but you know, I think any way we can get people moving is important. And I think in the last couple of years, there's been this push for these like high intensity classes, right? Um, In Miami, we have Barry's Bootcamp or... Uh, Peloton or a lot of these high intensity exercise, Orange Theory, and that can be good. However, what I tell clients is if you are already stressed and your cortisol is already through the roof, high intensity exercise is not what you need because it's going to further increase your cortisol. And that's what makes you retain belly fat and can actually be harder to lose weight. So um, for me, I think the last couple of years, personally, I've been stressed, right, with like a two-year-old. And and so now I'm just starting to get back into high-intensity exercise. But up until now, I've prioritized low-intensity exercise. So I like the fact that she goes into it in a calm way and like lighting the candle and, you know, watching the TV show. I mean, she's working out for 40 minutes. So uh, do I think that this is effective to do to be your only form of exercise? No, but I like the idea of incorporating this in, especially on days where you're like, I don't have it in me to go all in at the gym. Like, okay, let's do some cozy cardio. Like get out and walk for 40 minutes, light a candle, feel good. I get that. And 
I think I'm coming around to it a bit more. I think the first time I watched it, I rolled my eyes, and now I'm coming around <laughs> to it. For but but let me tell you my my hesitations or my first thoughts. I'll start backwards. She ends the video by opening the door outside and going, "Oh look, it's a beautiful morning." Well, why didn't you fucking take a walk outside then, right? Like you 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 turned on like a rerun a rerun of Sex in the City and you're sitting in the dark alone walking on your treadmill drinking your coffee like you you could have gone outside so that, that yes that, I appreciate that yeah that, that, I guess that's that was my first sort of problem with it I, again not not a huge issue I'm just as as somebody if I'm going to optimize this workout which maybe isn't the purpose of this that's what I would say uh then then we have to look at the coffee which I don't. I don't want to get go down the rabbit hole unless you do of of saying, hey, we we really need to cut corners in certain places. If your ultimate goal is health and wellness, at some point you have to cut corners, right? Everything can't yeah. be around, about like there's again there's this whole push now and this whole movement to say because these carnivore people got crazy and because they only eat fruit people and only eat fat people and only eat cars people and only eat lamb people, whatever. I'm now I'm a mathist. They only eat mammals, like. Now people just go, oh, fuck it. You can eat whatever you want at any time. Don't ever listen to anybody. Just eat whatever yeah. you want. So like at some point, you, maybe maybe we got to rethink how much creamer you just put in that coffee. Uh, <laughs> and then- And drinking coffee. I don't I don't support drinking coffee like while you work out. Like you should 100% be drinking water. And it seems like it's the morning. So she just woke up. She should be drinking water, you know, electrolytes. But I think the idea is in general, the general concept of cozy cardio, right? What I do like you think it. about it? I, th I think it's good. It's a, and listen, you have to start somewhere. If this person is yeah. just starting their journey and other people need to start their journey here, it's fantastic. Yeah, but, she doesn't look like a world-class athlete. She looks no. like she's likely just getting started. What I hope though, what, you know, what, what I hope is that this is like a lot of things in health and fitness and exercise, whether it's you finding a healthy drink you like or you having a new healthy habit, is that this builds onto other healthy habits and, and you you start to increase these things. Not where it's one of these, I'm, I'm fighting the norm and like, this is my new exercise. Screw everybody else. Once a day, I'm going to walk for 40 minutes while drinking my 350 calorie coffee and watching Sex in the City. It's like, well, that's it's just not, not going to do it. It's not going to do it. No, you have to start somewhere. And I will say it is cumulative, right? It's because I have clients, I'm sure you have clients that say, I don't have an hour to work out. I don't have an hour to work out, so I'm not going to do it. And I'm like, hey, 10 minutes counts. Like 15 minutes counts. It's okay. Like it really does all add up and um, you have to meet people where they're at. But I agree with you that this shouldn't be this shouldn't be the end the end goal or the you know the only type of exercise that people are just attached to. Like we need to diversify a little bit. By the way, I don't let people say that. So when people say I don't have an hour to work out, I don't I don't I mean I don't let them off the hook. I say, well, tell me about your day. Tell me from start to finish. What time do you wake up? What time do you go to sleep? Because I don't want them to think that th that they get to control the narrative of this argument that they don't have an hour, right? And they start telling you throughout their day and you point out hours like, well, I don't want to do it that hour. It's like, okay, well, that's fine. You can say, I don't want to do it in that hour. You can't tell me that you don't have an hour if I can find an hour. So, sure. and maybe it's not an hour, maybe it's 45 minutes, but you'll, but I've had that conversation with clients before. Like, I just don't have the time. I'm like, well, let's go through your day. And it's like, well, you know, if, if, if you, maybe it seems like I'm overstepping my boundaries in some sense, you know, because it's like, oh, this is my life. It's like, well, you, 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 you made an implicit statement that says, I don't have this, not that I don't want to do this. So I'm going to call you out on this. And I think that is a, that's another whole uh, like topic 
in conversation, but I, sure. a, lot, a lot of people lie to themselves and say, I don't have the time to do this when they, when absolutely. They, yeah. yeah. And if you, if you can trade that out with, I don't have the time with, uh, it's not a priority. It's not a priority for me to work out for an hour. At least you're being honest with yourself, but you know, I also, I have a degree in health coaching, right? So there's a lot of psychology and, and certain people need their butt kicked, right? They need a trainer to say, make the time, get up at 5 a.m. and let's do this. Other people, when they're met with resistance, they push back and then they're not going to do anything. So it's like, you have to know who you're working with. You have to know your client, right? In the same way you have to parent your child, you have to like work with your client and figure out what they need. But some people it's like, okay, you know your life. You're the expert in your life. I'm here to guide you to help you, you know, incorporate something. Um, I don't, again, there's, there's no one right answer. You have to work with the client, um, and their personality and, and figure out what goes into it. But I a hundred percent agree that people who say, I don't have the time, nobody has time. Like yeah. people make time. And, and I that, think that's it. You know, speaking of working with people, maybe that's like my perception of cozy cardio right away. It comes from working with people as a personal trainer, because it, it would be, you know, my, my first instinct is that someone's doing this and they're my client and they come to me and be like, I'm not losing weight. It's like, well, okay, well, yeah. we need to take this up a notch now. This was a great start. Like, I'm glad you're getting up at 45 minutes earlier and you're getting on the treadmill and this is great, but this is, this is stage one. Like we, now you, you, you've graduated. Like now we have to go to stage yeah. two. We have, we have to start taking other steps to get into, you know, the, the weight loss journey. We got to go somewhere. Yeah. And then, you know, I think there's the argument of, our whole lives, like this modern environment ha has been designed to keep us comfortable. And like, that's killing us in a lot of ways, right? Like we're sitting all the time, we get food delivered to our doors, we get anything delivered to our doors from Amazon. Um, and you know, what we found is hormesis, right? This state of your body being stressed can actually, uh, you know, activate longevity pathways, right? That's why the sauna is good. That's why the cold plunge is good. That's why working out until you're sore and sweaty is good. So it's like movement, getting any movement in is better than no movement, but we have to get uncomfortable, right? You have to get uncomfortable in order to grow, um, no matter what that looks like for you. Like, yeah, drinking the 350 calorie coffee while you stroll and watch Sex in the City, are you uncomfortable? Because if not, you're probably not gonna see results. Touche. Yeah. I think the next topic leads into this perfectly because there's oh, yeah. a, a similar sentiment that I'm going to have after you introduce it. Oh, I'm interested. Okay. So, um, Pilates, is it enough on its own or is this is just similar to cozy cardio to you? It's very similar to cozy cardio. I am somebody who has a Pilates background. Uh, I was, you know, peak Pilates, uh, you know, level two trained, which means I'm you know trained on the ground and the reformer. I taught yeah. many, 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 many hours of Pilates, probably over, over a thousand in my life. I still think it's in addition to, it's not exclusively. I don't, I, now, if you're good enough- Because it's not cardio. So if you're a good enough instructor and you're willing to not just do classical Pilates and you're willing to use the reformer and the other Pilates equipment, the chair and so on and so forth, uh, you know, the Cadillac in- other strength training kind of fashions. If you, if you, if you have a different background, like I did, and you can kind of incorporate all of it, it could, it could be enough. But what I will say is it, the reason Pilates is trending is because there's so many people doing the easiest versions of it. And it comes, it comes back to the cozy cardio thing where it's like, I can tell people I'm working out 
and I can feel good about myself, but I'm really not pushing myself. I'm not doing anything yeah. that's tough. I'm not, there's, I'm not breaking a sweat. I'm not sore afterwards. I'm just going through the motions. And I see too much of it. I see, I see, I see too much of it not being pushed. Now, you can make Pilates like one of the more difficult hours you will ever have in your life. If you have the okay, right- I'm glad you said that because yeah. I've taken a Pilates class and it kicked my butt. Like I couldn't do what some of the other people were doing. I couldn't walk for two days after. So I'm assuming there's different levels. Oh, if you have the right instructor and you're doing the right yeah. things, specifically on the reformer, not so much on on, on Matt Pilates. You, yeah. Yes, it's an it's an absolute amazing killer workout. There's a reason why these you know that started with with dancers who really were, right. were pushing this in like New York City and London, but they're there again there, there's this there's this new culture of uh you know healthy at any size like we talked about in the last episode and that, that that's a big that's a big push in the pilates movement and people who are just not working that hard so what i will say mm-hmm. is i i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to just look at pilates and single them out when i say pilates isn't enough nothing is ever enough you need to do a little bit of everything so if you're only, if if you were if you told me i'm only doing bodybuilding i would tell you well that's wrong that's not the best thing for your body to on, to only do bodybuilding because typically you're only moving in in two planes of motion in bodybuilding you're moving in sagittal and frontal you're not moving in transverse you're 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 certainly doing a lot of harm to your joints and ligaments you're not flexible you're not you're not raising your heart rate maybe to the level you should at least for the amount of time you should to challenge different energy systems. So you shouldn't just do any one modality. So I'm not just picking on Pilates from from that sense, right? I, I, would, I would pick on anybody, but what I would say is yes, it's the the trending portion. I think is because of the healthy at any size, and you can make Pilates very 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 easy where you can't really make CrossFit mm. easy. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I have um, a few older clients, you know, 65 plus um, that have done Pilates. And I think that is really good for them because one of the, one of the, you know, just to provide a counter argument, one of the best things you can do as you get older, as you know, is stretch, right? Because stretching really does prevent injury. And as you get older, falling can create a, you know, a whole a cascading events, you know, that, that, that we're trying to avoid. So I think the stretching aspect and the, you know, resistance workout aspect, especially as you get older is really helpful, but yeah, is it the, is it a, if you were do, if you were to do like top tiers of workouts, where does that fall? It probably falls somewhere in the middle. If, if you told me I only get one piece of machinery to run every single thing I need to do on, it would probably be a cable machine, but the second would be a Pilates reformer. So mm-hmm. that tells you how versatile it is and how important it is. I ran whole you know, classes in five, five and six uh, men over the age of 60 who were training to stay in shape for golf. And they loved yeah. it, right? So you, you could, yeah. so people always think about it, it's like, oh, just like young women. No, no, no. Any age can use this. Uh, any gender can use this. It's, it's, a, it's fantastic. So my, my issue isn't with Pilates. It's not with a reformer. Again, it's it's with the fact that because it's so versatile, you can make it really, really, really tough. You can make it yeah. moderate workout and you can make it really fucking easy where you're not getting anything out of it. And I think that's why it's trending because, because of the healthy at any size. A lot of people are joining into Pilates and saying, sure. oh, hey, I went to Pilates class today. And then you found out what they did and you're like, well, that wasn't. You know, that's not how I teach Pilates and that's not, you, you, you were not getting the most out of the reformer. Let's just say that. 
So is there a way to tell, like if I go sign up for a, a class at a new Pilates studio, is there a way to tell levels or like questions to ask the instructor? Or is it just based on like how sore I am after the class? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so firstly, classes in general, the, the, problem, the problem why it's tough is that if you have so many different athletic prowess levels, for lack of a better term, it's really hard yeah. to structure a class. So if you come in for the first time and then I have someone else who's a regular, who's in great shape, and then right. I have someone else who has a knee issue and they weigh 320 pounds, it's really difficult for me to structure a class where I'm going to be able to get all three of you a great workout, unless you're a very, very good instructor. And I'm just going to be honest, there's not a lot of those. Most instructors are not good because it's a low barrier to entry. Pilates is a little bit higher barrier to entry than, than let's say personal training because of the hours you have to spend and because it's a more expensive certification, but it's still a low barrier to entry. So there's more bad, there's more bad instructors than good instructors. So it is, it is really hard to tell. Do your due diligence on online, obviously read the reviews. Yes. There's yeah. always, there's always the notes on the classes to say like, this is intermediate level. This is advanced level. This is beginner level, things like that. Obviously, you know, pay, pay attention to that. But what I would do is I would always take an individual class first for anything, uh, if you, if you can take yeah. the one-on-one -on -one class to get acquainted with your, your abilities and the, and the equipment before you go hop into a class. That's smart. Okay, cool. Good to know. Protein quality argument. This comes up all the time. Uh, typically you'll see, maybe there's a new study that has come out. Maybe it is just a trending video. Obviously, we, there's been a bunch of documentaries over the past three or four years. There was that big vegan documentary that basically the guy yeah. came out and said something to the extent of, hey, all of these research that has been done in the past is wrong on protein quality uh, because of where you digest it. I don't know, the duodenum or something like some, you know, just some crazy science that, that, that people couldn't refute. Confuses most people. Confuses yeah, yeah, most people sure. and said, hey, throw out that protein quality stuff. Uh, we don't believe that animal protein has a higher bio biological value than, than plant protein. And then, you know, that people discuss back and forth, what is your sort of macro thoughts on this? And then maybe any insights as to what, you know, why people argue about this constantly. For sure. So um, in full transparency, I haven't seen the new Netflix documentary. I knew, I know there's one of them and there's basically like they take two twins and one follows a vegan diet and one follows a meat eating diet. And I, I haven't seen it, but <clears throat> I don't need to watch it. Right. Because I read the research articles, right. I'm a professional. I don't need to watch the mainstream media. So um, here's what's important to know. And here's what I think people need to consider. Don't here's the disclaimer. Don't take advice from anyone who isn't willing to change their opinion based on new research, right? So I've been a, I've been a meat eater. I've been a vegan. I've been a vegetarian and now I'm a pescatarian. And, you know, some of that is based on um, preference, but a lot of that is based on how the research has evolved. So I think, you know, if you are following someone who has committed their life to veganism or following someone who has committed their life to uh, the carnivore diet, that's the only information they're going to give you. And like, honestly, if you give me any topic on the internet and said like, why are grapes bad for you? I could find you a research article from somewhere that talks about why grapes are bad for you. Right. So it's like, it's, it, everything can be biased based on, you know, or a choking hazard. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think people have to take that with a grain of salt. Um, here are the facts. Plant proteins are, uh, full proteins. I know there's like a lot of misinformation out there that says plants are missing amino acids. Plants are low in certain amino acids. They're low in methionine. They're low in tryptophan and lysine, but they technically have all of them in there. If you look at the chart now, 
um, plant proteins also are a little bit more difficult to digest. And here's why. Plants have really healthy fiber. And fiber is great, right? Fiber can lower our cholesterol. It's great for our, for our gut microbiome. But sometimes fiber can get in the way of digesting plant protein. So you're not going to digest it as easily, say, uh, from a leafy green salad as you would from eggs or chicken or beef, right? Um, so I think, you know, that's important to know. And that's, that's not debated. Can you get all of the protein you need from a plant-based diet? Yes. Do you need to be more intentional about it? Yes. But here's what I'll say, and this goes back to what we talked about before. What's important are your goals, right? So if your goals are performance, it's going to be better to have an animal-based high-protein diet because you're going to be able to get more protein in. That protein is more bioavailable. It's, it's more easily you know, digested and absorbed. If your goal is longevity, you should be eating low protein and plant-based. So um, they've done lots of studies where uh, people who have higher methionine intake, which methionine comes from animal protein, have uh, much lower life expectancies. And just, you know, anecdotally, I know you know this, bodybuilders don't have long lives, right? Bodybuilders aren't living into their hundreds, right? These centenarians that are in these blue zones, right? Like Okinawa, Japan, uh, are lean, and they're eating mostly plants. And so, yes, you can argue that that's an observational study, but there's been so many of them. And, and there, there actually have been, um, you know, more traditional um, double-blind placebo-controlled studies about the specific amino acids. So if you talk to any longevity um, researcher out there, uh, Dr. David Sinclair is one out of Harvard, a low-protein diet is best for longevity because it puts your body into a hormetic state, right? Hormesis. What we talked about, it's good for your body to be stressed. So same thing with the sauna and the cold plunge and um, working out very intensely or fasting. Sometimes it's good to have uh, certain periods where our body's in a stress state. It can turn on our longevity proteins. On the flip side, if we have adequate protein all the time or excess protein, we're not going to, it's not going to be able to trigger um, those longevity pathways. So uh, again, depends on your goals. Are you looking for longevity or are you looking for performance? Well, what about just the numbers of biological value of the protein? So it, you know, if you can look up a chart, let's say on Google images, I could type in biological value of proteins and it's going to put up, you know, I don't know, whey protein, concentrate, whey protein, isolate, uh, meat protein, pea protein, sure. soy protein. Yes. Is that is that not accurate? No, it is. So animal, animal protein is more bioavailable across the board. It's easier to digest. The fiber is not getting in the way of, um, of digesting the protein. But that being said, I don't think you need as much protein as everyone thinks, right? It's uh, 0.8 grams per, per kilogram. Um, and some people, you know, obviously do double or triple that. And there's, there's some researchers out there that are really pushing protein. Again, it's like, it's very polarizing. People are saying you need more protein. People are saying you need less protein. I think it's based on the goals. But generally speaking, yes, animal protein is more bioavailable. It's easier to digest but you can reach those goals. You've seen people who are bodybuilders who only follow a plant-based diet, but you just have to be very intentional about it. Um, yeah, people, it's not, I talk about this all the time. Easy. It was a good point that you made. People conflate vanity and health. It's sort of a pitch. When I go on other podcasts, it's typically the topic that I touch on the most of the people that want me to talk about that. And it's that, yeah, I, I do agree that having a certain amount of protein, uh, which you need because it, 
so from a, a muscle building standpoint, it's sort of like a light switch um, where if you don't have enough protein, you're, you're not going to be able to rebuild that muscle. Um, sure. So you, can, you can't be under a certain amount of protein. So it is important to have protein. And from a visual standpoint, if the th I think part of the thought process is if I'm eating more protein as a percentage of my total calories, what all the kids call macros today, um, and it's like if, if I have more protein percentage-wise, well, then I'm going to be eating less fats and less carbohydrates. And a lot of times, the fats and carbohydrates are worse. Not all the time, but a lot of times, the fats and carbohydrates that they're eating aren't as healthy or nutrient-dense as foods. I'm not saying in general, right? I'm, I'm saying their fats and their, and their carbohydrates. If, if, you're, if your carbohydrates are coming from you know, a, bag of, a bag of chips and a Pop-Tart, but obviously, right. you're going to want to have more protein because you're eating shitty carbs. So, sure. so, so I get, I get that, and I get the bodybuilding community and the vanity community. But that's not the same, like you said, as health. I see the future. I work with seniors, or I used to, in in a large extent. I would say seventy percent of the population I worked with was over fifty five for a long period of time, and I, and and none of those people were bodybuilders. None of those people were lifting like bodybuilders. None of those people were packing on muscle. And they all, all of those people had things in common and they were all lean. They were yeah. focused on low impact cardio. They ate healthy and clean, but they didn't have an exorbitant amount of, they weren't eating two, uh, two grams of uh, protein per body weight a day, right? Those no, 170 pound uh, men who were 65 years old playing golf every day and in great shape weren't, weren't wolfing down 320 uh, you know, no. <clears throat> grams of protein. So I, I do think people lie to themselves a little bit on purpose because they want to look a certain way. They have, they have sure. ulterior motives of maybe getting the girl next door or looking good online. And then they trick themselves into believing, oh, this is health, but that's not health. Sure. No, no, no. It's like, let's, let's look at your lab values. How are your kidneys doing processing all that protein? And then again, yeah, if your diet is not optimal, our bodies are these intelligent machines where excess protein can be turned into fat, right? Like this is how our ancestors survived. Everything can, you know, in the same way where like if you're on, if you're on a keto diet, it is providing, um, you know, the ketones can provide glucose for your brain. So it's not eating excess protein isn't like a fail safe, right? I think people are just like, well, I'll just eat tons of protein. No, it doesn't work like that. Um, so it, it, you're right, it depends on not just how many macros you're getting, but the quality of the macros. What's the quality of the protein you're getting? Are you just having processed bars? Are you having grass-fed steak? Are you having pasture-raised eggs, right? So um, the how is really important. Like not instead of the what, it's the how. How are you consuming it? And like, how was it processed? Uh, that's also super important. Agreed. Cool. Oh, next one. Okay. Lots of topics today. Okay. Next topic. AI in uh, health and fitness. Uh, are we doomed? Are, is it going to replace all of us? <laughs> First of all, I want to say I love artificial intelligence. I've been reading and uh, studying might not be the right word, but I've been reading and consuming information on AI oh, for you've years. You've been using it. You've been using it. Not yeah. using it, but I just mean reading sort of the concepts. I mean, there's whole like big... Um, uh, what, what do you call them when you when you meet? Uh, why am I uh, like conventions? Like there's a there's been AI conventions sure. for years because there's a lot of people who have this like doomsday predictions, like Terminator esque. Hey, 
listen, AI is coming for us. Once it's like sentient enough and it passes what, what we call the Turing test, which means you can't tell the difference between uh, yeah. AI and a human, and it has like some form of its own consciousness, it's going to take over. So it's it was interesting. It's scary. Who knows what's to come? And I'm, I, I use a lot of AI for my businesses, a lot of different AI. Uh, right now I pay for three or four different AI programs that really help me expedite uh, content, content creation. It was funny because we always thought AI was going to take over blue collar jobs, but really it took over white collar jobs. <laughs> so like AI can write like legal briefs better than most lawyers now. Yeah. Um, I saw something that like AI got the top score on an LSAT. Like yeah. they let AL take the, and LSAT isn't just multiple choice. LSAT is like writing. Yeah, there's essays, writing. There's right? other things to go, but yeah. it, it hasn't taken over blue collar jobs just because it, it wasn't easy enough to do that. It wasn't designed for that. Now, will it eventually? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there'll be people driving trucks in 10 years. That's just my opinion. I think AI will be driving trucks and uh, there's going to be a shift in, in, in how the world works. Uh, from, a, from an economic standpoint. But getting back to our industry, it's great in the health industry, like what I would say, like the medical industry, which my wife works in, because you're able to compile all, like there's no, there's no industry that has more information than, than that industry. So now you get to compile oh, yeah. all of that information and then really see what's going on. So when you're looking at something, let's say like an, like an X-ray um, or a scan, you're going to have a much better ability to see. And it's it's tough, even for the best radiologist to always see. And you're eliminating human error. Yeah, you're exactly. Eliminating human error. And they've even found, like, we, they, they did a study on, like, eyeball scans where they were scanning. They, they put, like, I don't know, like, 4 million different eyeball scans into a computer because they were looking for something like cataracts. I don't know. Don't, don't quote me on that. But what, what ended up happening with the AI, somehow the AI told the difference in genders by looking at this. It was able to tell... Yeah. With a ninety-nine percent accuracy, if it was a male or female, by looking at the the eye the eye scans, which yeah. no which no radiologist could do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's there's just there's there's so much interesting cool things coming down the pipe as far as AI and health and medical. Now in our professions, it's a little scarier, and I would actually say in your profession, it's it's scarier than mine. I think sure. I think personal training has this cool thing where you know, being with your personal trainer in a room for an hour is just something that you can't replicate. So even me, someone who is built as building part of my business personally and from, from my portfolio building truly fit out uh, as an online business, fitness business, there's nothing that takes the place of like being there personally with your uh, trainer one-on-one, -on -one. not because, not only because of the, the, they can see what's going on. They can walk around your body 360, but it's just the rapport and the camaraderie and the, you know, that just like being there with them. Whereas in, you might be able to write out a diet just by looking at some, like every metric in someone's body, right? Looking at all of their labs, looking at like what they ate the day before, how they felt last week, and just putting in information that we couldn't even imagine that was important, genetics, putting it all together and being like, this is actually the optimal food that you can eat. So I do think it could take our jobs, but I think it's more likely to take your job than my job. <laughs> well, I think what I have working in my favor is people need more than just information, right? I think you can say, hey, we have the smartest AI bot in the world. It created the world's perfect diet for you. Follow this. And they'd be like, no, thanks. Right. Or people wouldn't do it. Yeah. And so, you know, I think a lot of what I do too, um, similar to how you work with clients is it's new, it's technically called medical nutrition therapy and it is therapy. A lot of it is like understanding 
why, like, why didn't you eat the kale salad? Like what happened? Oh, you got in a fight with your wife. Okay. And that made you feel stressed. And then you ate ice cream. So it's like a lot of it is this like therapeutic component. And I think, um, regardless of what happens with AI, you can't really replicate that. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. So what, what, what can be replicated and from in both of our industries is the perfect workout and maybe the perfect uh, written out diet for the week or a better one than yeah. maybe you and I could ever design. Who knows? But for sure, but that's only a small piece of the puzzle of what we do, right? So you're also helping them from a psychological and mental perspective. You're helping them. From yeah. Who, from and an you too. People are coming in to talk to you. People yeah. are coming in to chat with you about things and um you know, what I found is- And then also be able times, to say no. So sorry to interrupt, but also yeah. be able to say no. So, so if your AI bot says like, this is the perfect thing or like, what if they're like, well, I don't have access to that. Like I, I can't get blueberries right. and my, my local grocery store doesn't sell them in, in the month of July. So it's like, okay. Yeah, or, hey, I hate doing squats. I don't want to do squats, right? Yeah. I said, do you like, how can I do abs without laying on the ground? And you're like, here you go and whatever. Um, yeah, I think there's something about it you can't replicate. And, um, you know, how long have we had- uh, automated uh, customer service, right? When you call your bank or when you call anybody, when you call the airlines and it's like, I just want to talk to a human. How many times have you said like representative, representative, right? It's like, yeah. sometimes you just want a person to talk to. And I think, yeah, so I'm, I'm not worried about it from that perspective. Um, I think there's like that degree of human interaction. I'm, I mean, unless it gets so good, I think that degree of human interaction will always be really important. And that's, um, that's really what I spend my time doing. Like I don't give my clients meal plans. I couldn't, you know, it's I couldn't agree. Just... I couldn't agree more. And I think it's an important point. I just I want to hit on is that I, I've said this before in other podcasts. Sometimes when everyone is zigging, you want to zag, and when everyone's going the route of saying like, "Oh, I can give you the perfect diet by just plugging it into a program, and we can just program, 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 program," and it's so robotic, literally. Right now with AI, there there is something to be said about everyone becoming lonelier and people really just yes. want that human connection and to, to do more to upcharge and sell yourself and sell the connection yeah. and sell the personable action rather than sell the information, right? The information, anyone, right. everyone's going to have access to the information. So you're yeah. like, you're, you're not privy to that alone. Everyone has access to that. Now what, what you need to do is say, Hey, what I, what I provide is sort of a, maybe like a, what I call crystallized knowledge over time. Like I've gained all of these knowledge through all of my different experiences in fitness in conjunction with a care that no bot can, can ever represent. Right. And you can listen and you have empathy and that's mainly what people want. You know, they want people to listen to them. Um, if you had a rule where like, Hey, we're going to do a personal training session. There's no talking allowed. I would assume you would have zero clients, right? Yeah. Like if I said, Hey, I'm not going to speak to you. I'm just going to hand you a meal plan. I would have no clients. A lot well, of it is that we're, we're so charming and personable. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I, uh, hundred percent, but I, I will say that there, there is a space for that. That's a whole other topic. Um, there's a great book called uh, fitness business one-on-one what the certifications don't teach you. It's written by people here. <laughs> And in it, he talks about direct trainers and demonstrative trainers. And some trainers are more direct. They they just want to tell you about the body and walk you through the process almost more like a like a physical therapist. And other trainers mm -hmm. are a little bit more demonstrative. They they might not know the body as well. They might not have that science and math brain, but they're really good on putting on a show and, and motivating you. And they're better on that side. Ultimately, we want to be we want to fuse both of those skill sets. But typically For you sure. start out as more one than the other, and then you grow over time. But like when I used to do my kickboxing sessions. I only had 45 minutes and I was talking to clients all day long. This was my break. So I told my instructor, 
no, there's no chatting here. Actually, I'm, yeah. I'm coming in and I want you to just perfect my form. Tell me if I'm throwing my jab wrong. Tell me what I'm going through, right? We don't need to yeah. chat. This doesn't need to be fun. No, I want you, we're like, not friends. <laughs> I want you to be a robot with me. And he was yeah. fine with that because I was upfront with like, that's what I needed in, in that moment. But that's what you needed that day. But maybe you'd come in the next day and you got in you know, a fight with your boss and you do want to talk to someone. So it's nice to always have that option. Yeah. Last topic here. I'll let you introduce it. Okay. Last topic. I'm, I'm really interested to hear your, your perspective here. Uh, the, uh, the economy in general is struggling, but hospitals in particular um, seem like they're failing. Um, private, public, across the board. What, what's happening and, and where do we go from here? First, you know, as far as things are failing, when you look from a general public perspective, it's really hard for us to understand when you look at the numbers because a lot of these businesses are in the red, but they're not failing because they have a ton of money going into them, whether it's like federally funded or state funded or private funded, something like Uber. Uber's in the red. Uber doesn't make money. And people are like, what? No, but also that, that's for tax purposes, right? If you don't well, make money, you don't have to pay taxes. So some you of can it just is, like yeah. kind of keep going. Yeah, I mean, some of it is when you look at someone like an Elon Musk or something who basically takes, he takes loans out because you don't pay taxes on debt. And then yeah. he has shares of his company because it's worth so much that that the bank can take, right? So that's what he's putting up as collateral. He puts those up as collateral. So him and you know Jeff Bezos and these people don't don't ever have to actually pay themselves a salary and don't have to pay any and circumvent taxes. But the actual businesses, you know, some of them just don't make money because they just keep having investors pouring more money in until that day that they get to a certain point. So for like for something like Uber, when there is AI automatic driving they're going to make a ton of money because they don't have to pay their drivers. Their drivers are, you know, labor costs are 70% of their costs. So, sure. you know, that's when all the money comes in. But yeah, some of it is because of tax implications. They're fudging the numbers and going on. But, you know, the, I think the number is something like 50% of states. So 25 states. Inside of those 25 states, 25% of those hospitals are failing. So one fourth of hospitals mm -hmm. in, in 25 states are failing. Yeah. Um, and it's mostly in rural areas, and the, the, there's, a, there's a few reasons why. Number one is it's really hard to get good physicians. I know this. My wife's a physician. Yeah. You get recruited to go to these places. But if you're a physician, let's say you're an orthopedic surgeon who could make $460,000 in South Beach, or you could make $515,000 in North Dakota. Am, do I, do I want to? Where are you going? Do I want to take that extra forty-five, fifty grand at that point to go to yeah. North Dakota, or do I want to live in South Beach where I can actually spend that money and have a good time? So it's yeah. really hard to get people into rural areas, good good physicians, and to get them to stay there for the community. That's that's one problem. The second problem is you know hospitals are they're not looked at as like the fire department or the police department. So with the police department or the fire department, you pay them not just for doing services, but for being active and ready to, to do services. Sure. Yeah. So, Whether they get a call that day or not. So, yeah. so no one comes to the police department at, at the end of the month and says like, how many arrests did you have? How many tickets did you write? How many uh, speeding tickets did you write? How many, you know, whatever uh, detective cases are you on? And we're going to give you a, a, a percentage of each based upon the insurance model, right? That's not, yeah. that's not how it works because they have to, they're getting paid for the chance that they might be used. The, the, the hospital and the, and the medical industry doesn't necessarily work that way, right? They're getting paid for the services they do. 
but but they're on call. They're on standby. They're always there. The employees are there. The building's there. The lights are on. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and we're we're not we're not we're not using the the pay scale model in the, in the same way as we would again for a fire department or a pol- or like a, a police station. So I think that's that's another part of the problem. Obviously, the the whole insurance model is it doesn't work. Uh, from it's backwards, it, yeah. it doesn't work with this many people. I think it could work. A lot of things can work in, in when when they're small. But when, when it gets this big, it just doesn't work well. And we, we've seen that time and time again. I don't have the answer to like, how do you rip the insurance model out? I don't think it would ever happen unless the doctors themselves were the ones saying like, hey, we, like, we're, not gonna, like, we're not gonna do this anymore. We're gonna, we're gonna take some sort of step backwards outside of like ER doctors. And we're gonna yeah. go on strike unless we change this insurance model because there's just too much money involved in it. But I do think from a, like a, a rural standpoint, what could be done is that these people have to start investing money into their communities so that they can get good doctors. So I'm in a place in, in a, a very rural place where there's like there's like no downtown. If I'm the hospital, I buy up all those stores inside of their downtown, which I, literally I would say 80% of the businesses don't exist in the small town I live in. There's there's the skel- wow. there's the skeleton for them, right? They had a downtown. Yeah. They had a burgeoning downtown in 1940. It's just not there anymore because everyone moved out of rural areas. Well, what do you do? You buy up those businesses. You make it an investment. It should be cheap. It's not like you're buying space in in, in South Beach, right? You're buying space For in sure. Nowheresville, Texas, and then yeah. you, and then you build up those businesses and you and yeah. you make your community thriving. You have to push a lot of money into your community if you're these big hospital projects, especially private hospitals who have a lot of money, and say, For how sure. do I recruit doctors to come here to stay in these communities to help to to, to help everybody. So I think that's a really interesting model and it's been done before. So before I lived in Miami, I lived in um, Philadelphia and not not necessarily at, um, at a hospital, but the universities were doing this, right? So uh, for anyone who's not familiar with the Philadelphia area, University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school, is in West Philadelphia, right? In West Philadelphia, if you watch the Fresh Prince growing up, it's like not a great area. And so what the school was, what the school did is they bought up a ton of property around that area for professors, for students, and, and to really revitalize the area and make it nicer. And then Temple University is in North Philly, very similarly. So they didn't do it when University of, of Pennsylvania did it, but now they're, they're starting to do that. So it's like, if you want to have this institution that is going to last and is going to draw in the people that you want, right? In that case, professors, in this case, doctors, you have to invest in the community. I think it's, I think it's essential. Yeah, it's a great point. I didn't think about that. Uh, when I was in Savannah, Georgia, SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, did the same thing. I mean, they went from having you know two or three buildings in the downtown area to there wasn't a building that was that was for sale or for rent that SCAD didn't scoop up. And you turned yeah. around, and two years later, every single building was a SCAD building because part of their and I get it. Part of their portfolio of investing is just saying this is a good investment. Like this, yeah. it, it's real estate. We're in a downtown area. We're in Savannah, Georgia. Why not? Why not sit on this? Even if we don't have a, to use this building right away, why not sit on this and then make it something and invest in the community? And I think that's um, it's it's something that the hospital kind of executives and people just don't get because they're so they're, they're not entrepreneurs, right? They're so one track minded. They're they've been following the path. Sure. They go yeah. from tell me what to do in in high school and college and medical school and residency and this. And they're always trying to like appease everyone and do the right thing and follow the right thing and get good grades. 
and this takes an this takes a risk taker mindset, right? Like I got to step outside the box oh, yeah. and risk taken now. And and even the other people who run these hospitals are the same way. They all have like three master's degrees in some sort of business thing. They're not they're not Mark Cubans, right? They're not yeah. they're not people who are just like willy nilly taking risks. And I think it takes a, a risk taker to start building communities up. Yeah, I think they're going to have to. And, you know, to go go back to a point you said earlier, comparing them to like the firefighters or the police force, right? Where um, if police got paid off of how many tickets they wrote or how many people they arrest, you'd assume there'd be some more arrests, right? Like that that's incentivizing them to to do more of that. And, and similarly, you know, um, Kayla's a physician. I have friends who are doctors and surgeons and they have a quota they need to hit or they're they're incentivized to do surgeries right they're incentivized to to do things and so you know it becomes this world where it's not healthcare it's sick care because if everyone tomorrow like took a pill did a thing got super healthy they wouldn't get paid right where it's not like that with the cops if there's no crime in a neighborhood you think this the, the cops here are great if there's, if no one is sick, you wouldn't say the doctors are great, right? So it's just, it's kind of backwards where like, we're not incentivizing doctors to help people prevent illness or prevent disease, right? Because if no one's going to the doctor and no one's getting surgeries, no one really gets paid. So it's like, it's backwards. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's revenue sharing that they have, RVU models, the most Actually, most places, most hospitals run like that now. So maybe your first year or two, you will not be on one of those models because they need to see how many patients you see in a given month or year or week. And then they crunch the numbers and say, okay, you know, if you see X amount of patients and do this, this many procedures and to see this many type of patients, because things are structured in, for those who don't know, like basically numbered tiers. So if you yeah. come into the office and I just see you maybe for 20 minutes and you told me that you sprained your ankle and I go, no, you didn't. You're fine. And we took x-rays. Maybe you're a level one, but then you have a chronic issue. You have some sort of weird bone deformity. Um, and also I'm looking at something else and then I end up doing an in-office procedure. Maybe that's, I charge that as a level three to insurance, right? So, so yes, you, you're giving people bad incentives, right? To, to do more procedures that might yeah. not need to be done in the first place. What, what I wish would happen is and and some some businesses started to do this. I think Johnson and Johnson was the first one to do it. Is that they had internal health, um, I guess you would say, parameters that 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 gave incentives and disincentives based upon certain metrics. So, for example, most people know the smoking one. That's for a lot of businesses, right? If you smoke, you might pay a little bit more on your health insurance. You might have to pay a premium on your health insurance if you smoke because you're so much more likely to come down with some sort of cancer yeah, or serious disease. But then it should go the other way too. If you have good blood pressure, if you have the, the proper numbers, if you have a, a certain, I'm not going to say BMI, but whatever, like if, if you, whatever the, whatever the markers and metrics are that are agreed upon, or we don't have to talk about them now or agree upon them now, but let's just pick out five that we all agree on. It's like, if you meet all five of these, then you pay way less. So that gives incentives yeah. for the average person right. to stay healthy and do it. Now, at the same time, the businesses have to provide things. The businesses have to provide personal training and fitness classes and access to gyms and these sorts of things, or at least some sort of uh, coupon to, to go there and, and reduce the rate of the gym. Or maybe the government for should sure. do that, right? So you're telling me yeah. the, the government shouldn't give some sort of kickback to say, if you go to a gym for 12 months of a year and you checked in this many times, we're, we're willing to give this amount of money to you back. Wouldn't that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's not just hospitals. It's like, it's this whole modern environment that we've created, right? Because no one is incentivized to be well. I mean, like you have to do it of your own volition, right? You have to say like, I want to be healthy for me and for my family because otherwise you're not incentivized by your job. Um, doctors aren't necessarily incentivized to focus on prevention, um, right? 15 minutes with a patient isn't, isn't enough. It just, it's such a backwards model now. So, um, I mean, that's why we do what, what we do, uh, to, you know, sort of be upstream of everything and then try to catch things before they happen instead of managing, you know, conditions, let's try to prevent them before they happen. So there's also, you know, there's, there's another, there's another like small fix here. Obviously the, in every, you, you look at the numbers, uh, in school systems and in hospital systems, it's, it's even worse in school systems. And there's such a bloat in the management, in that second tier management mm-hmm. level, right? So you look at a school where when we went to school, it was a principal, a vice principal, a guidance counselor, and then teachers. Not anymore. There's a principal, there's an assistant principal, there's a vice principal, there's four guidance counselors, there's the, there's a, the, the, then, then they just start making up positions, right? There's, a, there's all these like, oh, like I oversee the guidance counselors. I'm the head guidance counselor who oversees the other guidance counselors. It's like, oh, I oversee the both vice principals. And they just, they keep building up too many, you know, as they say, maybe this is, you're not allowed to say this anymore, it's a faux pas, but, you know, uh, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. And, you know, when you have too many people at the top and not enough people working at the bottom, it causes, causes issues. And there's so many people who just have these jobs, these, cor- these sort of corporate management mid- mid-level jobs that aren't actually producing when you look at like production that goes on, right. where instead you could, there's so, much, there's so much stress on medical workers. So instead of having two nurses who rotate back and forth, you could hire four nurses if you fired right. the head nurse. Who, who just sure. sits in a corporate office and looks over resumes, right? Give that yeah, job yeah, to yeah. someone else, combine all those jobs, and then make everyone work a little bit less. Now I can pay, you know, now I can pay four nurses instead of two nurses to do the same job. They work less hours, they're less likely to quit, and they're less overrun. So I think there's a there needs to be a push at some point to just axe a lot of that. And what I, th- really why it happened is that there was this big push in our in our era from our times for people like our mom, even who they go, oh, it's so important to get a master's degree. And all these people came out with master's degrees, and then they all they all got these like corporate level jobs, where that that was the only place that they can go, and they they designed this whole this whole sort of like job structure for people who didn't have like CEO titles or for people who weren't considered like workers because I went to extra years of school, and there's just there's too much bloat. There's there, most of these people are not needed. Steve Washita for president, everyone. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. I think um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, we will end on that note. Thank you for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. I'm sure we'll do this again. And listeners, why don't you send in some topics you'd like us to discuss, whether they're yeah, trending be fun. or whether they're just something fitness and health-wise you have a question about that's either in uh, Becca's expertise or mine. Cool. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform, and feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.